Thank you for sharing that, Steve, and leading us to just a great order, a great combination of worship songs about what God is doing. One thing in the men's group we have been doing more often since last fall is having people share testimonies. Of course, it doesn't have to be just there. If God has brought you through something, um, you know, and you want to, hold on a second, Judy, and you want to share that, let me know. And speaking of that, I wanted to share it earlier. Judy Stevenson's with us today, and it's good to see Judy. I think she wants to share something. Go ahead, Judy. I need to summarize that for those that couldn't hear in the recording. Uh, thank you, Judy, for sharing. And Judy just wants to thank everybody for their prayers. This has gone on with her since December when she got COVID, and we've been praying for her. And, uh, and also she said thank you for taking care of Bob as well. And we have missed Judy. I've missed her in Wednesday night Bible study and in Sunday school, and it's just a joy to see her today. And I know you're just here for the weekend at this point, um, so it's good to see you. So it's great to hear testimonies like that. You know, God has brought Judy through a lot, and here she is with us. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 8 here in just a moment. Children are dismissed to junior church. So on that note, children may be dismissed to junior church. And I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 8. And, you know, we've been singing some powerful songs today about the Holy Spirit and about worship. And we're going to look at a passage today where Noah responds to the Lord with worship. After everything Noah's been through, after the flood, Noah responds in worship. I wonder if during this whole time period, Noah was just amazed and mesmerized with the power of God, God's wrath, God's mercy at the same time. God's justice, God's wrath, and God's mercy, and God's love all at the same time. And he responds with worship. As we go through this message, we're actually going to respond with communion at the end of the message. After a song, we're going to have a communion hymn first. But I'm going to come back to the idea of worship throughout this message. How much does worship matter to us? How much does it matter for us to worship the Lord? How seriously do we take worship? The devil really preys on people on Sunday mornings, doesn't he? The devil really preys on people on Saturday nights, doesn't he? Two thousand twelve or thirteen, the movie Superman, Man of Steel came out. I'm sure you were all as eager as I was to see it. Maybe not. 
And so I was eager to see it and we got a babysitter because we had a little Mercedes that was a year and a half going on two years old and we got some friends to go with us to see it. And I said, maybe we need to order our tickets ahead of time. And he said, oh no, it's a Sunday afternoon, a beautiful day. It's not gonna be sold out. We got there and it was sold out. I was so disappointed. I had to wait a whole nother week to see Superman Man of Steel. What if you came to church and it was sold out? Certainly we don't sell tickets, but we're not the free Methodists. They were called free Methodists originally because their pews were free. But what if you came in and we, look, we're full. Would that disappoint you? Certainly you could worship God outside the building and you could worship God at home, but there's something powerful about the people of God coming together on Sunday morning and worshiping the Lord. And when we are just enraptured with the awesomeness of God, the power of God, the salvation of God, we respond in worship. And I believe that's what Noah did. He was just amazed with the awesomeness of God. And I think oftentimes we aren't. With special effects, we can make great movies and make it look like people can fly. Peter Pan or Superman or Hook or whatever and make it look like there are starships in the sky and all these great special effects. We're not amazed by God. We can even duplicate, try to duplicate or fake the power of God in a worship service with other things to incite the emotions or things like that. Are we amazed by the power of God? Are we amazed by how awesome God is? And the devil preys on us with Distraction after distraction, whether it's a a sound of a phone going off or the sound of an air conditioner or the temperature or people whispering from you, people opening the door in the back of the sanctuary. And do we even take it seriously? You come to church late, you leave early. Some leave before the closing song. Some just come for the message. Thank you, by the way. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Worship and music matters, too, because we need all parts. A few days ago, I was listening to Breakpoint This Week, which is a longer Breakpoint podcast, about an hour long. Um, but I listened to two times the speed, so it's about a half an hour. But sometimes I have to pause and rewind because I listen to it too fast. But they reference an article on the American Conservative by psychiatrist. Well, it's by Rod Dreher, and he, he finished a book. It's a short book, about 2,900 pages, two parts. Seriously, 2,900 pages, two parts about the brain. And then it, there was an interview with said scientist, uh, and the interview is an hour and a half long, and so I listened to it, and it's about how important the left brain and the right brain is. And there's different myths about the left and right brain, and he spoke against some of those, some of those myths, but it, it, it talks about how important creativity is, music, intu- intuition, things like that. And we become such logical people that we dismiss some of that, and I fear sometimes we dismiss that stuff in the worship service too. We focus on the brain or maybe not, and maybe not worshiping in song. Or maybe we only wor- we focus on worshiping in song, but not worshiping through the message. Noah, I think, was amazed by the grace and the mercy and the power of God altogether. And he responded in worship. I wonder, have you ever been somewhere and you smell something and it just smells so good? I used to run at night more. I don't anymore. And now, now it's more of a jog. 
And I would jog at night up State Street and Alliance. It's U.S. Route 62. And I would pass Pizza Hut. Nothing like passing Pizza Hut on a nighttime jog. It would just smell so good. I just wanted to stop and go inside and eat pizza. Or sometimes then I would be running back on State Street, U.S. Route 62. I'd pass a pizza place out in that direction called Hungry Howie's Pizza. And it just smelled so good. I remember being a kid when I did not like coffee yet, you know, and I would be in the classroom and smell the teacher's coffee, and it would smell so good and taste so horrible at that point. I like it now. I like it now a lot. But it smelled so good. And sometimes I would be outside, even now, a few weeks ago, Mercedes is running with me. She's up to 5K, and we were running, and I said, doesn't that barbecue, somebody's having a cookout, it smells good, doesn't it? And maybe you've gone next, you've been out driven next to a restaurant and your windows are down or something, and you smell the, what they're cooking. Texas Roadhouse or steak. And you can just imagine the steak sizzling on the grill. I read a meme at one point that said, you know, you know the sound of steak sizzling on the grill and how that sound makes somebody really hungry. Does the sound of a lawnmower make a vegetarian hungry as it cuts the, <laughs> cuts the grass? <laughs> I was a vegetarian for a while, and I can tell you it did not. Um, you know, those smells. And Johnny Erickson Tata wrote at one point, and she, and she said, you know, not long ago, as the scent of a grilled steak wafted across the courtyard, it struck me that this is exactly what the Old Testament sacrifices must have smelled like. The temple in Jerusalem on the Day of Atonement was filled with the aroma of meat cooked on an open fire. What, with so many lambs being sacrificed, in fact, considering that thousands of animals were sacrificed on that one day, the entire city must have smelled fragrant. Never thought about it that way, have you? Thousands of lambs being sacrificed. I've had lamb. It tastes good, by the way. That's why I'm not a vegetarian anymore. Well, mainly because of bacon. But... All these lambs being sacrificed, and the sacrifices were pleasing to God. Not so much for the smell as for the sins being confessed. God is glorified and honored and loves our repentance. Inhaling the aroma of meat on the grill and smiling as a result, Johnny Erickson Tata says, gives me a tiny insight into the enormous pleasure God must experience when his people confess their sins. You ever think about that? For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life, 2 Corinthians 2, 15 through 16 says. Oh, to please God with the aroma of of Christ in our lives. Do we have Christ in our lives? Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Our bodies are living sacrifices as we serve the Lord, as we worship the Lord, as we spend time with the Lord. And Paul compared that to an aroma. So we're continuing our trek through Genesis chapters 1 through 11, and we come to Genesis 8, 20, and 22, and we see that 
Noah worships and he receives a word of promise. Noah worships the Lord. So let's look at this. Let's see Noah's sacrifice. He builds an altar and he sacrifices on it animals approved by God for that purpose. Verse 20 reads, this is Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. And that verse reads, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. This is right after the flood. This is right after Noah was told he could leave the ark. Remember in Genesis chapter 7 verse 2, God had Noah take seven pairs of the clean animals for sacrifices. There were two by two, the animals came to Noah. But there was an exception. Of the clean animals, Noah had to take seven pairs. And why? Because he had to sacrifice One person writes, the whole burnt offering, the whole burnt offering, according to Leviticus chapter one, represented the worshiper's complete surrender and dedication to the Lord. After the flood, Noah could see that God was not only a God of wrath, but a God of redemption and restoration. God was not only a God of wrath, but a God of redemption and restoration. The one, that'd be Noah, the one who escaped the catastrophe could best express his gratitude and submission through sacrificial worship, acknowledging God as a sovereign of the universe. The one, that's Noah, who escaped the catastrophe could best express his gratitude and submission through sacrificial worship, acknowledging God as a sovereign of the universe. Do we acknowledge God as a sovereign of the universe? Noah did. He escaped the catastrophe. God saved him. And in saving Noah, God saved the rest of humanity in the future through Jesus, through our salvation. Do we acknowledge God as a sovereign of the universe or are we the master of our fate, the captain of our ship? Noah was compelled, convicted to worship at this point. And mercy, God even respond. Are we convicted to worship the Lord? Sometimes we joke about it. Sometimes we make any excuse out of worship. I don't get anything out of it. Maybe it's because you're not giving to the Lord first. I don't like that song. I don't like that music. I don't like that message. I don't like the people. If I come in, the roof's gonna cave in. I've never once seen the roof of the church cave in, just so you know. I knew another pastor who did keep a hard hat in his office, though. <laughs> Noah was compelled and convicted to worship the Lord. By the way, this is the first altar and sacrifice in Genesis. The first altar and sacrifice in Genesis. It seems to me that the Lord told Noah by special revelation what were the clean animals and how to build the altar and make sacrifices. Later on in Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy 14, God, God will give instructions on clean animals. But God must have communicated somehow to Noah what animals to use and how to make the altar and how to make the sacrifices. And Noah, Noah followed the Lord. And Abraham will build altars a lot later on. Later, this is Noah. Later, we'll see Abraham build altars. Like everywhere Abraham goes, he's building an altar and worshiping the Lord. 
They actually had to like, build an altar, make a blood sacrifice. How important is worship to us? Look at Genesis 8, 21 now. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Noah worships. The Lord responds with a promise. This is anthropomorphic language. I've defined that before, anthropomorphic. It means it's subscribing to God human attributes. It says the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of the sacrifice. The Lord knows what the sacrifice smells like, but he doesn't smell like we do. It's ascribing to God human attributes. He smells it. I mean, imagine the Lord smelling it and being happy, not necessarily with the aroma, but with the dependence of Noah upon the Lord. God is pleased with the sacrifice. The sacrifice atones and makes amends for the sin. Though ultimately the sin was to be taken care of at the cross. You know that? Ultimately, all these sacrifices pointed towards the cross. Whenever they made sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were having faith, trusting in what the Lord told them to do. And ultimately the sacrifices pointed towards Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice. Their sins were credited to the cross. Their sins were credited to Jesus' blood on the cross, taking away the sins for everybody, past, present, and future. Right now, our sins are debited to the cross. Then their sins were credited to the cross. So so this sacrifice is pointing to the cross ultimately. And it says, the Lord said in his heart. Notice that. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. This passage is revealing the Lord's thinking. Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? Amazing? This is revealing the Lord's thinking. The Lord said in his heart. Somehow, when Moses was inspired by God to write this, God told him, this was my thinking at that point. This is what I was thinking. Write down my thinking. The Lord said in his heart. And now, God commits to never flood the earth like this again. He commits to never strike down every living thing that breathes oxygen again. Then God says, or his thinking is, the intent of man's heart is evil. Or it could be better translated, the inclination of man's heart is evil. The intent of man's heart is evil from his youth up. Think that that is still true today? I do. With 24-hour news, nobody can deny that, right? How many mass shootings have we had in the last three or four weeks? We need a heart transplant. We need a heart change. And only God can change that. Only God can change people. In the beginning of the 20th century, they started a Christian publication called The Christian Century. It still exists. They started it thinking the 20th century was going to be the Christian century. 
There are more Christians martyred for their faith in the 20th century than all the previous 19th centuries combined. What else happened in the 20th century? World War I, trench warfare with mustard gas. World War II, the Holocaust, Stalin and all the people that the communist regimes killed. Uh, things going on all over the world to this day. This is still true. Psalm 51.5. Here's some other scriptures. Psalm 51.5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David, in this prayer of repentance, is saying, I was born with a sin problem. And you and I are too. We are born with a sin nature, a sin problem. Once we commit to Jesus as Lord and Savior, guess what? Our sins are washed away and he is restoring us and we have the Holy Spirit within us. We still have a sin problem, but we have the Holy Spirit to help clean us up, okay? We have help. And that's what we need. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Romans 1, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Romans three twenty three. for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God repeats again and again throughout the Bible, we have a problem. I once heard Charles Stanley say, man would not write the Bible because it does not make man look good. We have a sin problem. And right here in this passage, God repeats that he will never again destroy every living thing. Look at verse 22, uh, uh, Genesis 8, 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Basically, while the earth remains in its current era, seasons will continue. Now, why does he say in its current era? Because eventually... In the end, in Revelation 21 and 22, God is going to restore everything and there's going to be mass destruction on the earth and the earth in and of itself may totally be destroyed as well. But in its current era, seasons will continue. That's what he says. He says seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter. Cold and heat, that means winter and summer are going to continue. Day and night shall not cease. Seed time and harvest, that means spring and fall will continue. In the flood, it seems that God interrupted seasons, but not anymore. God is giving a promise to Noah that you can plant and you can harvest. God will provide the seasons. Psalm 74, 17, you have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Jeremiah 33, 20, thus says the Lord, if, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night will not come at their appointed time. The point is there, the implication, you cannot break God's covenant with day and night. Jeremiah 33, 25, thus says the Lord, if I have not established, if I have not established my covenant with day and night and fixed order of heaven and earth, God is saying he has established a covenant with day and night. He, God has, a, has established boundaries and seasons. So we have some applications now. Noah responds in worship. We must re- respond to the Lord's grace and kindness in worship. How do we view worship? Do we take seriously singing to the Lord? Look at Psalm 96, Psalm 100, Psalm 101, Psalm 106, Psalm 107, Psalm 150 about singing to the Lord. Martin Luther, the reformer, wrote this. He said, next after theology, I give to music the highest place and the greatest honor. I would not change what little I know of music for something great. Experience proves that next to the word of God, only music deserves to be extolled as a mistress and governess of the feelings of the human heart. We know that to the devil, music is distasteful and insufferable. 
My heart bubbles up and overflows in response to music, which has so often refreshed me and delivered me from dire plagues. That's Martin Luther, and he later wrote one of my favorite hymns, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, the battle hymn of the Reformation. And we know that music actually engages a different part of the brain, and as we worship the Lord, there are different parts of our brain engaged. John Piper shares a story about confronting a woman. He was called to an apartment one night, and a woman was possessed or oppressed by a demon. And he got called at 1030 at night, and he invited somebody to go with them. Their wives stayed home and prayed, and two of them went over to pray over this woman who was demon-possessed. Now listen to this. He says, what we, find in, what, we, what we found is an apartment with about five young men and one young, and, and one, f- I'm sorry, five young women, There's about five young women and one young man who will not let this woman out of this apartment. She had glazed eyes. She was bitter. And she had a little penknife in her hand threatening people, a penknife. For two hours, Piper says, I talked to this woman. I read scripture and read prayers of deliverance. It comes to a head where she starts getting very violent. She knocks the Bible out of my hand. She rips the paper out of my hand. She pounds on my back. About one in the morning, when the word of God and the force of evil were at their fever pitch, one of those young women started to sing. And what they sang was the little phrase, Alleluia. They're praying, they're reading scripture, and the demon oppression, possession, is still just very violent. She starts to sing, Alleluia. And Piper continues, and the woman became vicious, threatened everyone if we wouldn't stop singing, threatened everyone if we wouldn't stop singing. She fell on the ground, screamed for Satan not to leave her, went into convulsions, and then went limp. When she came to, she did not have any idea what had happened. She was willing to take the Bible, read Romans 8. And pray with us. When she started singing, the Holy Spirit worked in a, I guess, a more powerful way. And the demon left her. The demon left her. We see here that Noah responded to the Lord's faithfulness with worship. We must also respond with worship. Sometimes we are so busy judging God that we do not worship him. Sometimes we are so busy letting our thoughts race to other things or being critical of anything we find wrong that we do not worship him. Noah responds in worship and the Lord responds with a promise. Are we trusting in the promises of God? The Lord says that seasons will continue. Can we trust that we do not need to worry about the future of the earth? That doesn't mean we're not stewards of the earth. We're stewards But God is in charge of the future. That's part of this promise. God is in charge. Watch the Weather Channel all you want. I enjoy it. But ultimately, remember, God is in charge. God is sovereign, and we can trust him, and we must worship him. I'm going to close this sermon in prayer, and then the praise team's going to come up and lead us in a hymn to prepare our hearts for communion. After the hymn, I'll invite the ushers to come forward, and we'll take communion together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful passage about your promise, your grace, your mercy, 
in Noah's worship. And I pray that you would convict us all as you've already convicted me. We must work diligently to prepare our hearts and worship you. Be glorified and be exalted as we worship you in this communion song right now. And I pray that you'll work on our hearts, convicting of us of anything that we need to repent of prior to taking communion. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated as we sing the first verse of the chorus of the blood.